the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Whoa. You can tell someone had a good 4th of July. Holy mackerel, where did that voice come from? Welcome in, Rob Black and everybody. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Again, thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, let's start with stock markets. Let's start with a little bit of what's going on out there and how we should pay attention to it, in my opinion. Um Stock market was closed yesterday. It's a short week. I know you're saying, is today Monday? No, today's actually Tuesday. Um, silver futures were a big story yesterday. You know, I'm always looking at news stories when I'm not working, and I was like, why silver up so much? The metal is uh, was up 5%. It's pulled back a little bit. Uh, gold has benefited, but silver's done much better. So with all the caution out there in the stock market, cautious posture has not been isolated to the United States. Um, You're seeing Japan and Hong Kong a little bit lower today, Germany and France lower today, feeling some of that selling pressure. So you get a rally in the Treasury market uh, this morning as the 10-year Treasury yield drops five basis points, uh, hitting 1.38%. I hate to say it again, but... Time to look at a refinance if you've refinanced, if you haven't refinanced in the last three years. So some of those 15-year more rates are so attractive now that you have to consider them. The list of concerns has not changed much over the weekend um, that you know we left on Friday with. But keep in mind, we had a big rally last week after we started off the previous Friday and Monday with uh, concern over what's going on. A political race in Australia may go largely unnoticed by global markets, but it's worth noting um, that they produce no clear winner. And that's interesting to note because right now we're looking at politicians, uh, especially because of Britain exiting the euro, as you know, the story of are they going to change their countries or not. 
and sometimes in the case of Europe, are they going to stay in the euro or not? Last week's repeat election in the Spain produced a similar deadlock result uh, to the December vote, while a presidential election in Austria will be repeated after concerns of procedural and proprietaries. So a lot of focus right now on elections. The Australian election was followed by the latest policy statement from the Bank of Australia, which kept its key interest rates at 1.75%. Let me repeat one more time in case you're missing this. This is a very big story today. The 10-year Treasury is lower pretty aggressively, sitting at 1.39%. And I stop and take notice of that because for the longest time we were playing with 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, back to 1.6, and now we're uh, going lower. Are we going towards negative interest rates? Whoa. Uh, U.S. Treasury yield hits a record low. That's a big story. So that's a real big story. Market participants are a little eager to hear from central banks. Um, the Federal Reserve is going to release the minutes from its June meeting tomorrow. Again, this whole shortened week. It's Tuesday. Whoa. Investors are going to receive the June employment situation support report, which is sure to factor in the, to the rate hike decision. Uh, that's later in the week. Uh, to be fair, the discussion remains virtually non-existent with the Fed Fund's futures right now predicting almost no chance of a, a rate hike until at least next year. So there's a minimal, but very, very minimal. Uh, factory orders today is the big story as far as uh, economic data that's hitting the wire today. There's not a lot to go off. Factory orders dropped one-tenth of a percent. You see the markets really open lower. I'm not going to say across the board, uh, but... Yeah, most of Europe and most of Asia was down 1% to 2%, and the United States opens, you know, lower about 1%. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about money, investing, and more. Let's play with that little 10-year treasury for a little bit longer. Uh, the 10-year treasury is a support, is a sign of support. It is a show of support for the you know, U.S. government, we pay our bills. So in a worst-case scenario, you could say, you know what, I don't know what I'm going to do with my cash. I know that cash isn't very good right now, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give my cash to the U.S. government. I don't want to put it in the stock market. I don't want to put it in the bond market. I'm going to give it to the U.S. government, and they're going to buy us some treasuries with it. So the yield hitting 1.378% today is pretty crazy in the sense that it's telling you the world's really nervous. And sometimes the world is smart money, and sometimes the world is dumb money. Uh, bonds tend to be considered smarter money, so this is considered to be uh, a lot of smart people think something bad is coming. So there's uncertainty surrounding global growth, and the U.K.'s referendum vote resuming amongst investors. Strong rally in equities last week. Uh, U.K.'s ruling conservative party is going to hold its first stage of selection process for a new leader. Uh, tonight that's going on, and potential candidates have been busy putting their best ideas forward on the Brexit environment, so there's a lot of talk about it, a lot of finger-pointing about it. Markets are setting, uh, settling down uncomfortably into the post-Brexit dystopia. Uh, walked by my boss's office in television today, and he goes, hey, how's the market look? And I said, not so good this morning. He goes, why? I said, there's a lot of talk about Brexit over the weekend. So rumors are abound uh, all about the Brexit right now. 
crashing business expectations and bankers in particular. Uh, we're hearing, you know, we've pretty much gone through all the eight stages of Brexit. We've gone through shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, applying for an Irish passport, acceptance. Um, and again, we just don't know what it's going to look like. And that freaks people out. Um, I don't want to say the word freaks people the hell out because I don't want to get too dramatic with it. But the 10-year treasury is telling you, like, whoa, there's a lot of fear. And again, I looked at mortgage rates over the weekend, and I'm like, I'm going to do another refinance. Um, and this one's going to be a dramatic one because of how fast mortgage rates have fallen. So if you haven't looked at them, you should look at them. Contact my friend Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoansHorse.com. It's BayAreaLoansHorse.com. It's exactly what I did on Friday and Friday evening. Um, San Francisco is doing something interesting. They're considering a tax on tech companies to pay for the downside of the tech companies. So I've always found that you could – I've never found a politician who, you know, didn't meet a tax that he was going to be like, oh, I don't want it. But a lot of activists now are – getting in with city legislators to impose a payroll tax that would apply only to tech companies, which have been the engine of a booming economy that appears to be slowing now. Uh, tech companies have been a tremendous benefit to the city in a lot of ways with the tax money and the employees that they bring in who are high income, creating what should be surpluses for the city. Uh, but there's some negatives. You know, real estate pro uh, prices get skyrocketed higher, which again helps the city with taxes, but there's a resentment here on the high proliferation, proliferation of tech workers and the pressures that rising prices have put on all residents, so, and buses, and it's going to be interesting to note, San Francisco's budget, which stands at $9.6 is larger than a number of state budgets, uh, and they want more money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me at robblackshow.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show. And YouTube, Rob Black Show. Call Rob Black now, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black. Your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, or more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Federal health care officials in a new report say that about 11.1 million people were enrolled in Obamacare insurance plans at the end of March. That's 1.6 million or so fewer people than had actually selected a plan on one of the government-run health care marketplaces. The drift down, which was expected, is largely a result of some people who had selected a plan not making their first month's premium payment once they came due. For enrollment to be considered, you got to pay. So people are dropping off. It's a drift down. 
in 2014, Obamacare's first enrollment season, 8 million people selected plans, but only 7.3 million people ended up uh, enrolled. Last year, about 11.7 million signed up, but 10.2 million people actually ended up paying. Uh, Florida's got the biggest Obamacare enrollment in any state with 1.5 million customers. It's uh, interesting to watch as it works uh, into the you know system, so to speak. So the affordability of the plan to a lot of people is attractive. The nearly 85% or 9.4 million of all Obamacare customers received federal subsidies. Nearly 85% are tax credits to help lower the cost of their monthly premiums. Those subsidies are available to people who have low or moderate household income, earning between one and four times the federal poverty level, between 20000 to 80000 for a family of three. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Chad Burton is a financial planner with New Focus Financial. Coming in today to talk a little bit about long-term care insurance. Let's start with what is long-term care? Well, long-term care insurance, and, and for the record, I don't sell long-term care insurance. Okay, that's I, good. You know, fee-based financial planning, but I'm a huge believer in it. I started in this business at a pretty young age with my grandfather, who had a lot of older clients. Right. And about two years into the business, it seemed like the phone was ringing almost every week. I'd get a call from a husband or a wife saying, they've gone into a nursing home, they've got Alzheimer's, uh, you know, how am I going to pay for this? It's Back then, it was even three or $4,000 a month. Now you're approaching five or six. In the Bay Area, you can see nursing home costs as high as 10 for a month for a skilled right. nursing facility. Which, do the math, that's $100,000 a year. Yeah, 120. So the average person, once they go into a nursing home, first of all, once you hit about 70, there's about a 60% chance you're going in. Okay. And the average stay is three years. So that includes the people that go in for 10 years with dementia and just, you know, and that's the, that's the killer of the portfolio. Yeah. And then there's those that go in for six months and have a stroke and die or, or you know, whatever. It's, it's the average stay in America is about three years. And Medicare doesn't cover it. If you, if you go through the right steps and you end up in a hospital for three days and with the 30 days, there's all these rules to get yeah. any kind of a, a short-term coverage from Medicare. So the long-term, it's up to you. Okay. you either, you're either going to – got a couple of options. You can either pay for yourself. That means you've saved more than enough for retirement – so the person that that's able to self-insure is those people that are 65, and they're able to live off of you know maybe two to three percent of their portfolio, and that's more than enough. Right. They can probably self-insure. There's middle America, which they're retiring and they're having to live off of four or five percent of their portfolio at 65. They need the long-term care insurance the most. And then there's those that haven't saved enough. They're going to go on Medicare, or Medicaid rather, and it's called Medi-Cal in California, which means to get that coverage, not only it's typically not the kind of care you'd really want for yourself or your parents. But you've got to spend down to 2000 bucks, and only a certain amount of your home is now protected as an asset as well. So the, the biggest thing about long-term care insurance is it actually helps you stay out of a nursing home. If you have an event, you, have, you lose the five activities of daily living. Let's right. say it's dressing or eating or continence, whatever. They'll pay for somebody to come to your house and take care of you. It helps you stay in your home. Right. And tell me a nursing home that you've like that you've been in and you, oh, great food, great people. This is where I want to be in retirement. No, I'd rather have a wheelchair ramp built at my house so I can stay there. And then right? you, the, the parent that you put in that old folks' home, they're not happy and they're, they're bitter and they're pissed about it. So it's a lose-lose scenario. So long-term care, just so people know, my grandmother, she had Alzheimer's disease for five years and it was horrific watching mm -hmm. her die. 
Uh, did you know, like, if you don't get out of bed, like, your foot, your bones become so frail, they just collapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your arms start to curl up towards your heart because that's just age. Like, you just sit in there waiting to die. Bed sores and everything else. It's ugh. My mother's had a couple strokes, and she's been in um, long-term care three times in the last five years. So it, this is a real issue. For me, I don't know, because I'm, I'm going to live forever, Chad. You know, it's that's the that's way the, the problem people is. that need it. You know, if you've got fam- you go. more family history of people just having a massive cholesterol issues and they have a heart attack and die, right? Versus, if I get a client and they have both parents went in with dementia or Alzheimer's, right? Um, even the wealthy ones that can do the the one to two percent of income and and be completely fine. Yeah. What happens is is they get to that point in time and somebody else, like a kid, is making the decision for them on care, right? And the kid's worried about their inheritance. They're thinking, oh, dad's got Alzheimer's. He doesn't even know where he's at. I'm going to put him in this house where he's sharing a room with somebody else so I can inherit more money. So even wealthy people might want to look at long-term care insurance to take the financial piece of the health care decision yeah. out of the mix. It's really an estate planning piece as well. And you can write that type of instruction into your trusts. So, With, that, with that said, do poor people need to buy long-term care? Um, you know, it you know what I mean? Poor people can't afford it. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of one of those things where you're where you're looking at costs of two hundred and fifty dollars a month and up. Yeah. If you buy the stuff, it's you know early. Okay. It's more if you buy it later in life. Four to five thousand a month. Oh yeah, if you're seventy five or eighty. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it gets to the point. You know, you've got to get it purchased typically by sixty five, sixty six. So in the get to, you don't need you don't need long term carriages. <laughs> Poor people don't need it because the poor they can't afford it. Too old, you can't afford it. It's it's your your risk is too high. You haven't paid in the pool long enough, and don't think that it might. You know, most of the time when you're going to buy long term care insurance, um, the agents say, well, rates aren't likely to go up, but really they are. Because okay. an insurance company, the only way they can raise rates is if they can go to the state and say, look, we've had higher than expected claims. We need to raise the rates, and the state will let them do that. So that could happen as well. Talking retirement issues and more with certified financial planner Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Which is better, 30-year mortgage or 15-year mortgage? Well, I think if you could comfortably afford funding your retirement – you have an emergency fund set up. You feel comfortable with the next 15 years. I think a 15-year makes sense for a lot of investors, a lot of common people out there right now. Uh, but that is if you've maxed out your 401k. That is if you have an emergency fund and if you can afford a hiccup. The lower payments of a 30-year are more appropriate for most people who need to, you know, have some money left over at the end of the month for an emergency, have some money left over at the end of the month to fund the 401k. So there's no right answer. Right now, the good news is rates are incredibly low. So you should consider one or the other and figure out what works best for you. For most people, I'm going to recommend a 30-year when looking at their financial situation. But for some people, it does make sense to go to a 15, again, if you're well off. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, and YouTube, Rob Black Show.
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Ron Black, <clears throat> talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, and YouTube, Rob Black Show. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Mortgage rates have just collapsed again, and it's a really bad sign for the world economy. But if you're going to be paying your mortgage in the next 15, 20, 30, 40 years or let's say 10, 15, 20, 30 years, uh, time to consider refi. Let's talk with a little bit more with that with Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony specializes in mortgage lending. He also has a show here on KDOW, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. That's, again, all about real estate and lending and how to get the loan for the home of your dreams. Tony, we have seen a virtual cycle play out numerous times, it feels like. Adjustable rate mortgages were popular. Then they became un- – then they got to kind of the point where they turned into hybrids where, you know, no document loans. And then we got back to let's kill those off for a while and go to 30 years and 15 years. Uh, real estate prices are down. People go with a 30. Real estate prices are up. They go with the arm. What's an arm? Well, it's an adjustable rate mortgage, and you can it's amortized for 30 years, which means your payments – are going to be calculated over a 30-year period based on whatever rate you have at the time. A three-year arm, for example, means you're fixed for three years, and then after the third year, you become an adjustable. And you can adjust quite a bit based on a certain index. That index could be anything from the LIBOR to one of the Treasury uh, um, accounts or indexes. So it's not meant for everybody because after that fixed period, your payments could go up dramatically. So it's, it's a specific product that people use as a tool to keep their payments lower. That's the number one advantage of an arm adjustable rate mortgage, is that the rate's going to be about a half a point, sometimes a point lower than what you get on a 30-year fix. The shorter the term arm or the arm term, the lower the rate. So let's say you're staying in your house for three years. Right. And get a three-year arm. Why would you get a 30-year fix at a point higher than and then a thirty-year than a three-year arm and save you know $10,000 over that period of time? So that's why an arm makes sense. Does the property come into play, for instance? Can you get an arm on a condo or townhouse? Um, you can, but, but an arm is a riskier product, so you need higher credit scores. You okay. need higher equity. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, you need 25% or more equity to get an arm, even though lately... Jumbo arms have become more aggressive. You can go up to 80%, but over 80%, you're done unless you get an FHA loan, which are pricey to begin with. It kind of negates the benefit of having an arm. And part of the whole cycle, again, is at some point in time, you're going to be able to get up to 103% on all these products because we get to the point where we keep loosening standards, loosening standards, loosening standards. Disaster. Disaster. And then we tighten standards, and then we loosen them, loosen them, loosen them. This was a pretty tragic event that happened uh, to the housing industry, and and they've since then become over-regulated. And it's going to continue getting tougher, but it right now I'd say we're about what we were in 99 to 2000 as far as guidelines. And then, you know, you know what, hit the fan, and... Lenders started going crazy with the NEGAM loans, loans that would actually increase your balance based on a start rate of like 1%. Those aren't going to come back. So we're going to be a little bit more conservative as far as the type of products available and close some of the doors on on risky products like the the NEGAM 
uh, I guess I just said the same thing over, but it really does emphasize that lenders are scared about selling these products back to the, the secondary market, and they're going to continue over being over-regulated and over uh, um, criticize your loan scenario. Speaking with Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com, how often or how much money do you make? Is it different for an arm versus a 15-year versus a 30-year? It, it, it's not. Okay. Uh, one of the things that did change is the way that lenders and loan officers and brokers are compensated so that they charge the same for each scenario. Um, but in the past, uh, we used to have lenders that co- came to our office and they would promote certain products, not the ones that were the best for the client, but the best for the loan officer to make the most money. That's where we got in the most trouble is loan officers were looking to make the most money and selling the wrong products to the clients. That's gone away. So what else should we know about that cash scenario or about the real, the scenario where you use a lender, you want them to make money, but you don't want them to make too much money? And you don't want them to make nothing because then they're not going to really work for you and get to know you. Right. The first thing you want to do is just make sure that you have the right scenario. Good credit. You want equity in your property. Good income. And you don't want to stray off of that path because there are some, you know, you have to use FHA. You have to use a private money loan. You want to stick in the mainstream. That's why I'm worried about this private sector um, funding that Obama's trying to push. It's, it could make it a lot worse for people in higher rates. So you want to first make sure your scenario is correct, and then you want to do some shopping. I like using a broker because brokers use several different lenders that could fit your scenario into their slot, where if you did it on your own and you tried to go to one lender and then another lender, you're running your credit more often, and you may not hit the right lender that has the right scenario. So there are several things that you can do to make sure that you ensure that you end up with the right pricing. Get a good faith estimate. Make sure you shop on the right the same day uh, because rates change quite often, and there's some quite a few other tools that you can use. Thanks very much. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Getting to know the right product, getting to know the right lender, I think is critical. You do not want to be in a scenario where you go into a bank and try to get a loan because you're not going to get the product that's right for you. You're going to get the product that they want to push to you. You're listening to me, Rob Black. That's Tony Mendez, and you can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. The bad news out there in the world of real estate, the U.S. office vacancy rates falls to a seven-year low. So the office vacancy rate hit about 16% in the second quarter, the lowest in seven years. Um, labor markets have been cooling off a bit in 2016. The next few months will be pivotal for the labor market and the office space score, uh, market. And again, it tells you that things are cooling off in labor, tells us that labor cools off in the economy. New York and D.C. have the tightest markets with boasting on a vacancy rate of about 9.1%, just FYI. So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. We can talk about states. And state-sanctioned gambling has changed a lot since the 1970s when a flurry of states began to introduce lotteries as a way to bring in extra income. How do you feel about that? Lotteries, in my opinion, you're going to lose. By the sheer numbers, uh, you probably well know that the Mega Millions jackpot is going to be the t- seventh largest ever. It's grown to 449 million. Then it's going to be sending a lot of people to grocery stores and you know, buying tickets for that, you know, one in 250 million chance that you'll be that person. Good luck. I mean, it has to go to someone, and I just assume it's always going to go to someone in Georgia or Florida without teeth. 
And I guess if I wanted to win the lottery, I'd move to Florida, Georgia, and lose all my teeth. Uh, but not quite there yet. So how do you feel about gambling? Whenever I see people gamble on lotteries, I'm like throwing good money down the rat hole. And it's frustrating for me because the people who gamble typically are lower income. Now, when the jackpot hits huge numbers, uh, that brings out the rich folks in the upper middle class because, well, winning $10 million isn't good enough. But, you know, $450 million, I'll, I'll, I'll buy tickets for that, um, which is kind of funny, I think. So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. Do you think states who have budget challenges uh, should do more gambling? And lottery revenues only account for about 2.5% of states operating revenue on average. So should they aim for higher? Because it's kind of a way of taxing stupid people, in my opinion. Uh, not the best thing in the world to do, but do you think we should do more? When you start taking a look at what's happening in San Francisco right now, and you know, San Francisco wants to raise its sales tax in November to help cover the shortfall in the city budget. Um, a lot of real estate transactions have happened in the last five, ten years that have made San Francisco incredibly wealthy. So a board of supervisors announced a proposal last week for a 1.5% payroll tax that would serve as a form of indemnification for what the board of supervisors guy named Eric Marr said was the downside of the tech boom. So we have a potential sales tax increase. We're starting to think about let's tax tech companies more. Uh, tech companies have been a tremendous benefit with the amount of taxes that they bring in, with a lot of real estate that they bring in. But the problem is city governments like San Francisco get addicted to it. And, you know, they increase their programs, some of them for the homeless, some of them for housing affordability and the crisis there. And then, you know, some of those real estate transactions start to dry up and the budget doesn't go higher and higher. Or the budget goes higher and higher, but the receipts, tax receipts don't go higher and higher. There's a lot of resentment. Um, when you see San Francisco's budget at $9.6 billion, it's larger than a number of state budgets, and it's also 7% higher than last year's, you get a little bit crazy. So it's a $250 million deficit over the next two years, and Ed Lee is, you know, the mayor Ed Lee is trying to hope that sales tax helps pay for transit and homeless projects to help balance the budget, which is required by law. So the real estate transfer taxes are expected to drop sharply next year. So that's down about 14%. The real estate boom turns into a real estate sideways. You can find me online at robblackshow.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Get it. I want AM. 
Welcome back in. Sung at 1 a.m. Brother and sister combo, which I think is kind of fun. Um, but the, the lyrics really hit me. And if I can go back to my 20-year-old self, you know, the song is about singing at 1 a.m. We party and have a good time. But if I can go back to my 20-year-old self, I'd say, Rob, at 1 a.m., nothing good happens. Be careful. Uh, and I kind of agree with that basic premise. I could throw out other basic premises or premise eyes for you, including but not limited to. Um, you know, investing in stocks that are penny stocks, nothing good happens. Investing in companies that have been in business since you were a little child, it's a good start. It's a good idea. Doesn't mean that you should do it, but it's a good start. Um, I would refer to the, you know some financial lessons or some financial mantras that you used to have, and that's an investing. Don't invest in stocks that are under a dollar, two dollars. I don't invest in stocks under five dollars. I'm not going to say forever and ever because it might happen, but as of now, no. Um, it's like saying, okay, when you're 30, I don't want to date 15-year-old girls. I'll date 20-year-old women, 22, 23, 24, 25. You have to have standards that you actually stick to in investing. You have to be able to write these things down. Otherwise, you will find yourself in trouble. Um, and that's what, if I were to tell my 20-year-old self, at 1 a.m., you're going to find yourself in trouble if you're out after 1 a.m. often. And it's not something that you can sometimes see tangibly, but as a guy who works in television news, I hear the most horrific stories ever. You know, a kid gets snatched by an alligator, I have to hear about it. The next day, a kid gets caught in a home fire, I got to hear about it. Next day, uh, 20 kids get shot at a elementary school, I got to hear about it. So I hear, like, all the horrible things, and I can tell you that our news is filled with horrible stories that happen after 1 a.m., so whether they're shootings, whether they're, you know, drunk drivings, uh, it's that 1 a.m. It's, I'm not going to call it a witching hour, but I'll stick with that concept, is have some things that you could write down. For people who are 30, I think you need to start figuring stuff out. You actually need to stick to a budget. So by the time you're 30, you should be able to have a budget. I recently read a post by a Stanford dean who said, send your kids to college and have them be able to do their own laundry, have them be able to resolve their own problems. So when they fight with their big brother, let them punch each other to death. Don't intervene. Let them learn how to resolve issues. Um, I thought that was, there was some pretty good advice in that. And for me, to tell someone who, by the time you're 30, I think you can mess up in your 20s. You're going to be out until 1 a.m. a lot. But in your 30s, you want to stick to a budget. Um uh, you want to stop spending your whole paycheck. I remember in my early 20s and definitely my teenage years where I had, you know, I, I guess you could probably say I, I overdrafted my ATM more than once, fewer than 10 times, because I was, you know, whether I was scooping ice cream, whether I was waiting tables, uh, I was pretty tight as far as what my budget would allow me to have comfort zone. So stop spending your whole paycheck. Become a millionaire and start saving money by the time you're 30.
Start living off 90% of your paycheck or 85% of your paycheck is better. Uh, you won't need to get real about your finances and your financial goals. So you want to start writing them down. You want to figure them out to make them more of a reality. You're less likely to achieve any goal if you don't write things down and create a concrete plan. You want to figure out your debt situation. So your debt situation stops you from achieving your financial goals. So by the time you're 30, you need to have a budget. You need to stop spending your whole paycheck. You need to have financial goals that your paycheck is now funding because you're not spending the whole thing. But you need to get rid of your debt. And I think we all kind of experiment a little bit. I was going to say sexually, but no. We all kind of experiment a little bit with our debt in our 20s, and we kind of figured out credit card debt, you know, loans. You want to get married, so you're like, I'm going to go to the bank and get a loan so I can buy a diamond. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. You, you don't have a budget. You spend all your money. You've overdrafted money from us. And they're like, no. So you go, well, then I'm going to go to the jeweler and get a line of credit. And, like, that's one of the worst ideas you could ever tell. But I won't start with that and end with that. Uh, by the time you're 30, you should have an emergency plan. So uh, we're in a slowing economy, in my opinion. And that's going to create some problems. A lot of people have dreams about hitting it big with... Uh, a lot of people have dreams about hitting it big with, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, have... I'm in network, and someone's going to offer me a million-dollar job. Yeah, I need to have an emergency emergency fund in case you get laid off and your dreams don't materialize and the reality is that you get downsized so dreaming big can stop you from having that emergency fund and having that emergency fund can help make ends meet without drawing on your savings and your investments when you do lose that job or when things get a little bit tight or there's an emergency a friend of mine her family was kind of living kind of a very, very, very fake dream. Um, and they were living off a lot of credit. You know, the income was okay, below average, but they used credit cards to kind of fund the difference until they ran into a situation where their kid had five or six cavities. And suddenly it became very real that they, didn't, they weren't making enough money and that they were living off credit. And you got to have that emergency fund. And you always got to be thinking about how many more years till retirement. I've got people who are in their late 40s thinking, I'm going to hit it big. I don't need to have a nest egg. Hey, retirement's 10 years away now. Be cautious. Be smart. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.